0: So this last full day of our retreat, this last full day of practice and silence, I would suggest is a day to be particularly careful with what we do with our attention and where our attention goes. I think it should not surprise us to to be aware that you know, times of transition, times of change in our lives are often really the, the, the open doors for the hindrances to actually arise. Mm-hmm. And, and as so much skillfulness in this practice is actually really learning to attend to those arisings, learning to attend to the hindrance patterns as they p- appear. And I'm sure you all know the hindrance patterns by heart. I hope you do. (laughs) If there's one list worth memorising, it's that one. (laughs) Because we we really need that literacy (laughs) around the hindrance patterns. You know, that you know the craving for sensual pleasure. How much of our distractedness is really rooted in this, and how easily that that you know appears. In times of discontent, times of change, you know, the mind starts, you know, it's lovely planning, it's lovely thoughts, you know, about what comes next, you know, or it starts its aversive thinking, you know, depending on where you are today, you know, you're either looking, leaning forward or you're saying, I don't want to go anywhere, you know, so aversion, you know, does its piece too, you know, of, you know, what I have to, what I'm walking into, you know, what's awaiting for me, it's not here. Um, but we're actually putting it here through a version, right? Being in mind, bearing that in mind. Mm? Um, the the numbness that Akinchenu was referring to yesterday as a sort of dissociative pattern. Again, how this easily makes an appearance, you know, of just beginning to take our attention away from what is actually here. Mm? Or, of course, a great one is the restlessness and worry. Mm? And then, you know, really knowing how these patterns interact. Because, you know, I think sometimes people feel, you know, the hindrances as beginner's meditator stuff, you know. And, you know, if I'm an experienced student, you know, I, I, I don't want to confess... <laughs> that the hindrances are part of my life, are part of my practice. But actually what we see is when the hindrances are really swirling, how that door opens to doubt. You know, maybe my whole retreat was a waste of time because look at what's happening for me now. You know, I'm right back in craving for sensual pleasure. And then the, the Buddha so recognized, you know, the way that the hindrance patterns are really the, you know, the five evident expressions of greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, and how those three are the three manifestations of avidya or confusion, not knowing. But the hindrance patterns is what we what we actually can really access, and they can really knock us off balance. I mean, it's interesting with the hindrance patterns how they span both the, in my mind both the third and the fourth way of establishing mindfulness, because sometimes we, we see them as moods, don't we? I mean we we see the mood of restlessness, you know, we see the, the mind state of aversion. You know, craving has a particular mind shape that goes with it. Although the mood is often one of discontent, you know. Doubt often doesn't feel like a mood, but the mood that's underneath it is one of, of confusion. So, so they kind of straddle the third and the fourth way of establishing mindfulness. Because what we also see, if we repeat moods or mind states often enough, they become patterns. Hmm? They become psychological habits, which is how they appear in the fourth way of establishing mindfulness, as psychological patterns or habits. Quite frankly, they're all dissociative patterns. You know, because they all are ways of separating, distancing ourselves from what is. So I think the Buddha was very, very realistic and actually quite, quite wise in in just reminding us to to be careful of how these patterns arise and knowing that they don't have an independent self existence, <laughs> that they rely upon being fed. Hmm? And, of course, the most effective way of feeding the hindrance patterns, because they have a lot of story attached to them, is to keep in the story and keep adding to the story. But then the, the Buddha was so clear that, you know, the process of waking up, there's a certain tension within it. You know, it's not, as as Kinshina said the other night, the short story of, you know, we sit down, cross our legs, you know, go through the jhanas and wake, you know, get up from our seat liberated. It's not quite that short story. There's a certain tension in waking up and it, it's not a negative tension. It, it, the hindrances are actually, this tension is actually the classroom of our practice. Because we, we can see how the hindrance patterns keep drawing us back into very familiar, repetitive cycles of distress making. And they kind of sit in one hand, and in the other hand is our sense of aspiration, our sense of intentionality. And there's, there's a certain tension between these two, isn't there? But th- this is a creative tension. This is actually where we practice, which is why you know in the fourth way of establishing mindfulness, uh, the Buddha I think so skillfully pairs the hindrances with the bhajangas, the the qualities that support awakening. Hmm? And, you know, he says, actually, cultivate the bodhyangas. And we have been cultivating the bodhyangas, the, these awakening factors, these limbs or supports of awakening. We have been cultivating them through this week. And it's quite good to, to know, you know, because it, these are the ways that we actually practice insight. You know, again, insights are not something we have. Insights are something we practice. Hmm? So the bhajangas, the cultivation of these awakening factors is one of those ways that we actually cultivate insight, where we begin to embody what we know. The first of them, of course, is evident, you know, and we've spoken a lot about it over this week, this quality of sati, you know, this quality of sati And, and of mindfulness and really knowing the different dimensions of mindfulness and sometimes what is helpful in any given moment, you know, is, is highlighting one of the nuances of mindfulness. I mean, certainly, I, I think for most people in, in retreat environments, they, they find themselves really in the, in the domain of two of those nuances. That the kind of cultivating the attentive element, the simple knowing, because that's the first step in disidentifying and decentering, and cultivating protective awareness. I spoke about in the matter yesterday. This is where we spend a lot of our time. The investigative element of of sati really rests upon developing the stillness born of this more simple awareness and protective awareness. You know, without that in place, investigation just turns into more thinking. The reframing of view, you know, that element of, of sati, you know, we begin to, that also rests upon investigation, you know, where, you know, some of our assumptions, conclusions, uh, how we see the world, our views, our cognitions, you know, we start to reframe this, you know, we're, we're not resting in so much certainty about I am and you are and the world is, metta is a very powerful way of reframing view where that which feels, has felt to be unapproachable, suddenly can be befriended, is not seen as an enemy. So sati is always the first of these factors, you know, followed by investigation. You know, it's not, we've stressed, I hope we've heard this, practice is not just about watching things, it's about learning. It's about understanding, you know. I personally don't think much changes just because we watch it, and, you know, a lot of people in practice can be really good watchers. I don't think it helps the world that much, but, you know, good watchers. You know, I can look at things. I can observe things. It's actually about understanding, understanding. And investigation is not a project, you know, much. If there's enough stillness in place, we actually change the eyes through which we see experience. You know, we begin to actually explore, process what is going on. This is really so key to awakening and to putting down distress. Is developing this capacity really to understand and to learn? This is where change actually happens. And it's often said that that capacity to really, really understand, you know, gives birth to virya. This quality, sometimes translated as energy, sometimes translated as courage, you know, and it's it's really essential in this path, you know, you know after sort of some, oh gosh, uh, really many decades of sitting on a cushion, uh, I think yeah, I think it's all. No figures. I I think it's almost 50 years next year of sitting on a cushion. That's a long time in my life. It's most of it, actually. Um, And and it's true what one teacher said you know, the first 20 years were the hardest. You know, the next 30 were pretty good. But, you know, to, to have the, you know, we know what it takes to actually just keep showing up, don't we? In the midst of life, in the midst of a world, sometimes it seems so overwhelming, so filled with conflict, to just keep showing up rather than, you know, to hide our heads under the blankets or to turn away and, you know, find some, some more distracted, more dissociated way to live. It takes energy, it takes courage to, to, to cultivate this path, just to keep showing up for our lives. And it takes joyfulness, you know. I really think, you know, more and more, I, I just feel that, you know, we need to incorporate this cultivation of joyfulness in our lives and in our practice, even when things are difficult. Perhaps even more so when things are difficult. Hmm? and joyfulness is not some sort of euphoria or bliss you know it it is really that capacity to, to celebrate what is well to appreciate what is well to to find joy in seeing the difficult fall away you know it's, joyfulness is is really the way that we resource ourselves inwardly and i think you know especially in the face of of distress or it's something so important to cultivate, you know? And know, the thing is it's not that hard to cultivate joyfulness, you know what I mean, you know there's all sensual, what we call sensual non-sensual joyfulness. there's a lot of joyfulness found in the still mind. yeah, it's a lot of joyfulness found in actually really being present, but there's also joyful you know joyfulness in appreciating the lovely around us. And that's so sort of available for us. To actually cultivate, you know, to be aware, you know, where our practice starts to take on that edge, you know, of gritted teeth and what we've been referring to as our the Arahant face. <laughs> uh, you know, being aware of where, where our practice is starting to take on that edge of, you know, over-earnestness, you know, and, you know, this is serious business, I'd better not... Smile you know uh, uh, you know to to really be aware of where do we need to actually incorporate that sense of of joyfulness, and the other qualities of awakening we have indeed been really focusing on this week this capacity to gather, collect and uh begin to calming the agitations, calming is a verb hmm? calming is a verb to calming the agitations, really just not consenting to feeding the agitations. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so, you know, we live in such an agitated world and it's so infectious, isn't it? It's just so infectious to, to be agitated, you know, to be filled with indignation, you know, to be filled with busyness, to be filled with doing, you know. It's not that meditation is a prescription suddenly to opt out of life and sit in a cushion forever, but agitation is so, so optional and learning to calm the agitations as they arise, but through collecting and gathering ourselves, collecting and gathering ourselves. This is, you know, this ability to sustain our attentiveness, our sense of being present in the moment is the real key to meditative deepening. It's absolutely essential. And the last of these qualities, you know, equanimity. You know, we, we might think that equanimity again is a state, but, you know, we start to cultivate equanimity very early on in our practice, you know. We learn to to actually put down some of our preferences and our biases. We We learn to stay steady with both the pleasant and the unpleasant. We learn to, you know, equanimity upege is translated to stand in the middle of. You know, that is where we stand all the time. And actually to stand in the middle of with, with poise, with balance, and really recognizing events in life can be really challenging and hard. But what really knocks us off balance is our reactivity to them. Our wanting and not wanting, our fearing, our preferring, and learning how to stand in the middle of—not saying that those reactions don't arise—but we don't actually need to volunteer to entertain them, hmm? to actually see them arise and see them pass. So the bodhijangas, uh, you know, kind of is is just another one of you know many of the lists in Buddhist psychology are kind of, they are maps, they are cultivations, you know, and I, I, what I think is so important, though, to, for me to recognize is that, you know, the Vajangas are not rewards for having suffered or endured. Hmm? Joyfulness is not a reward for having suffered or endured. You know, equanimity is not a reward for, you know, having, having uh, you know, gritted our teeth. These are qualities that are also really practices of insight, practices of understanding. And I think sometimes in our day, we need to actually play with this landscape and say, well, you know, what would be really helpful to cultivate more of right now? Would it be helpful to cultivate more joyfulness just now? Would it be helpful to actually cultivate more, more sati just now? You know, would it be helpful to cultivate more collectedness just now? So again it's it's a landscape to explore. It's not it's not developmental, it's not hierarchical hierarchical in the real sense, but it always begins with sati. I mean sati is the embarkation point, isn't it, for any quality of understanding to emerge. You know, nothing changes without that mindfulness, without that sati, without that sense of being awake and conscious so it 's a kind of a landscape to play with to see ah what would be helpful just now that you know this is why you know meditative development, I think it <laughs> you know has such artistry within it you know where where we 're actually really almost able to to more intuitively sense what does this moment actually need, what serves clarity well, what serves compassion well, what serves balance well in this moment and I think as we, as we more and more develop this path, we become more familiar with these landscapes of cultivation as skillful means that we employ, that we call upon, that we apply, that we embody, that we learn actually the artistry of the path. Okay, so let's take our seat Establishing wakefulness, steadiness, balance within the body, the body sitting, the body sensing, the body listening, the body breathing.
1: So, as Christina mentioned, the fact that we are moving into the transition phase this afternoon, that things are going to change, can bring up all kinds of reactions, restlessness, um, future thinking, planning, excitement, hopes, fears, whatever, and it's just important to include that in our practice and to really um, also make this an object of our awareness, of our exploration, to just be with these um you know, tendencies of the mind that are very, very common as we are now going to actually experience impermanence in a very uh, obvious way. Things are changing. Things are now going to transform. And sometimes there can be, you know, maybe resistance to this fact. There could be um, longing to get home, to get away from here. Um, sometimes even a sense of impatience, of uh, now just wanting to leave and go to the next thing, sometimes this impulse to leave early. And I find there this has somehow to do with our, uh, what should I say, with, our, with the fact that we don't really like things coming to an end and the mind then, has a tendency to look out for the next thing. Okay, so what will come next? And so we are already ahead of ourselves, already busy um, planning the next thing that is going to happen, anticipating a lot. And we could realize that these are just thoughts, that we are actually still here. We are still on retreat. We are still in this format. We are still in this container. And... Uh, So we can include all this in our practice and just continue with our practice. It is a wonderful exploration of um, how causes and conditions influence us, how when things are starting to change, this obviously has an effect on us and it's not our fault. It's not someone else's fault. It's just how things evolve due to causes and conditions and just to be aware of what is happening, of what is, uh, of what y- we notice. Um, now, I know also that some of you are going to stay on and for them, of course, this might be a bit a different experience. Maybe you want to just keep going in your practice because you don't have uh, the need to plan anything. So I would encourage you, especially in this time of bit more energy coming up of bit more um, aliveness to as best as you can stay grounded, just keep going. You can, of course, um, you know, notice everything that is happening, but Just try to to keep going during this phase of change. And for all of us, we still have the, the quiet, we still have the momentum of six days of intense meditation practice. And we can ride on this momentum. And whenever we remember, we can just, again, reconnect to that which we have been building up over these past six days and just, again, um, ground ourselves and feel what we have been cultivating over these days. There is something there and you can trust that, that when you let go of the thoughts and, you know, this whole idea of time and I'm moving into the future, if we just can let go and come back to How do I actually feel my feet? How do I actually feel my body? Then all this can drop away. And we are just again here, just present, just for this moment. Um, So this afternoon, there are some changes in the schedule. And please just check the board and make sure that you attend the Dana Talk at 315 and then at 4:45 there will be a managers talk and those of you who are going to stay on you don't need to come to that one we we ask you that you all come to the dana talk but for the managers talk those of you who are staying on um just do you know just continue your own practice Then I also would like to just mention that some of you have asked for individual interviews and please uh, check the notice board, the lists with the names um, to see where you are listed. Okay, so I wish you all a wonderful day.